This path will lead you to an unholy place, a cemetery. Hello everybody, Foggy Jack here, the lost boy, oddball of magic, and the host of the Foggy Jack 13 podcast. I'll meet you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. CreeperCast, Episode 2. You're listening to The CreeperCast, a podcast about horror and the horror genre with Jeff and Jason. I'm Jason, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. All right. So for today's podcast, we're going to be uh, talking about Rob Zombie and uh, the film career that he's had and rob zombie's done a lot of things in his life he's a film director a film writer a um, music writer composer uh what else has he done comic book artist comic artist uh cartoons let's see uh, uh he wrote columns for penthouse magazine uh he has an office in penthouse which is awesome oh fantastic lucky guy i know uh the guy just he he's he's an anything and everything kind of person, which is fantastic. And unfortunately, it's also the same way I'd like to be. I know and he's pulling it off, and I'm not. And we're both about the same age, which is even more annoying. No. <laughs> uh, so for our listeners out here, if you uh, have any questions or comments, uh, you can give us a call at. I need to turn around so that I can see the uh, phone number <laughs> at two zero six nine eight four. <laughs> nine seven Not five two there's a little echo there huh yeah all right so uh that's it uh two zero six nine eight four nine seven five two leave us a message and uh you can and we'll put you uh on air with what you say and uh you can criticize us you can uh praise us you can uh talk about anything that you want to talk about any news that you hear you can also drop us an email and where can they email us jeff where can they email us? Now I have to look something back up. All right. I'll, I'll just get thecreepercast at gmail.com. That's right. We're on Gmail, and uh, it's thecreepercast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow us uh, at twitter.com slash creepercast. And uh, we're also on uh, iTunes now, so uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. All right. Back Absolutely. to... Subscribe. Put put up reviews. Put up yeah. Okay. Take two. <laughs> Back to uh, <laughs> the uh, beginning of Rob Zombie's film career. He uh, started off with House of a Thousand Corpses. Then he did The Devil's Rejects. Then he did Halloween, the remake of the 1978 film, and then uh, Halloween Two, the remake of the uh, 1980 John Carpenter film. Both of them were by John Carpenter. Um. And tell us a little bit the, uh, about uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, because, I mean, it's a very low-budget film. And uh, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you found out about it, Jeff. Um, actually, with House of a Thousand Corpses, it's, it was really Rob Zombie was really trying to prove his love for the horror genre, was trying to prove that he could make a movie that everybody would want to go see. And uh, one of the funny things about this movie is that apparently it was so graphic that nobody would wanted to touch it when it came to release it was actually i believe it took it a full year after it was really made to to get to a release and if it wasn't for the wonderful people at lionsgate who seemed to be who 
were really good during 2003, 2004 at uh, helping the underdogs actually get seen, it probably wouldn't have ever got released. And then once I got out there to the hundred or so theaters that it did manage to get seen at, got a hell, hellacious. It was a cult, um, cult following. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I remember for years hearing about Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses that he's been trying to make, and it was going to be the goriest thing you've ever seen. And uh, I don't want to say it didn't live up to expectations, but I think, uh, you know, hearing about it for years, my expectations got so huge that there was nothing that could have possibly. Uh, well, that, that, that much is definitely true. And with a title like House of a Thousand Corpses, were you counting? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as many uh, dead bodies as were at that house, there could have easily been a thousand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I and I started out and I started out trying to count, and you know, you could just get to a point where you might as well give up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's a scene near the end that's great that uh, they uh, one of the sheriffs or deputies opens up a door, and uh, it's like it's a barn just stacked with uh, dead bodies, you know, and one couple live bodies. Um, but give us a quick synopsis about House of a Thousand Corpses. Okay, quick synopsis, which is really hard to do because this is a many-faceted movie. But essentially what we have here is uh, four college students. I'm going to call them college students, but even though it was never really said for sure, um, are traveling the countryside looking for strange places to write a book about that they're you know, basically to tell people to go visit these places because they're really strange and weird. And they come across to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men, which is basically your, your standard... 1920s sideshow is the way that's exactly what he is and it's you know you got the mermaid boy and all other types of uh, wonderful creations at this uh, at his, uh, during his amusement ride but the important thing is this um wonderful story about dr satan this horrible person that's supposed to be you know there there's a legend her tell of in this texas area and these guys decide, or these four people decide, they want to find Dr. Satan. Well, let me, play a, across. let me play a clip right now. That's a good spot for a clip. All righty. You're asking so many jack questions. Oh, you see, my friends and I, we're driving across country. We're writing this book, actually, on uh, offbeat roadside attractions. You know, the crazy shit you see when you're driving across the country. I don't drive cross country. All right, that that was our uh, main characters with Doctor Spaulding. He was uh, talking about uh, the pretty much the plot of the movie. Exactly, and and a very important part of the story is that Captain Spaulding is also a clown, which is important when you got a horror movie. You have to have a clown. Yeah, that goes back to uh, it, and uh, actually it goes a lot further back. It goes back to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I <laughs> <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> Maybe we should do a review on that one. <laughs> that would be fun to do. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, what do you think of this movie? What did I think of this movie? Well, um, one of the main things I spent a lot of time doing is, just, is trying to find out where Rob Zombie has stated that this was an homage to all the great horror movies, the ones that he thought were the movies that really stand out in the, in the genre. And if you watch the film and really think about it, you can almost pick out every movie that he's paying homage to. Well, it definitely has a uh, look and feel of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Absolutely. The filming style is a lot alike. It takes place in Texas. You've got, yeah, very much Texas Chainsaw Massacre going on. You even have the skin mask later on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and we'll play that one in a little bit because I have a clip from that, too. 
Um, but this movie, when I saw it, one, one of the first things that stood out to me is anybody that's seen any, uh, Rob Zombie music videos knows that he's very stylistic in his direction, in his, uh, cinematography. And he loves the use of, uh, extreme colors. So he uses a lot of greens and a lot of reds. Uh, and the green, uh, one of the first things that you learn and when you uh, study cinematography is that green is normally put in there to make people feel sick. And the very first shot of the movie, I, after a montage opening, is under green fluorescent lights. And it really off-puts you. It's a very low angle, very green. Uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, whenever something bad was going to happen, it becomes very, very red light. And, uh, so I love the, uh, the cinematography and the lighting of this with the extreme colors to it. And if I can interrupt real quick with another story, because I'm getting really good with these stories. Oh, great. And it just dawned on me. You were talking about all the wonderful green lights and stuff. Rob Zombie actually played here in Albuquerque, um, not too long ago, probably not even a week ago. And I work freelance photography for a guy that does a lot of video screen stuff for live acts. Unfortunately, I didn't get to do this show because I didn't know anything about it. But um, one of the things he was complaining about was that nobody told him that Rob Zombie uses a lot of green lights, which looks, (laughs) if you're not prepared for it, looks horrible on a video screen. And I was like, and the first thing I said to him was, well, if you would have told me about the show and then I could have come. And when we saw the green lights, I could have said, well, it's Rob Zombie. (laughs) (laughs) Expect Green lights, everything. He's a zombie. There's got to be green. Um, you all, you actually met him once, didn't you? Yes, I did, actually. Um, I met him when he was a part of White Zombie. This was even before they were really anybody. I didn't actually get a chance to meet him personally, actually. Um, the, ba- the guitar player for the band that I was hanging out with at the time did get to meet him, and Sean was the bass player, the you know nice, tall, blonde female. <laughs> and I don't know if the, this guy has ever washed his cheeks since he claimed he never would after she kissed him. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, for those of you that don't know, the, uh, great opening and closing that we have to this podcast is, uh, produced and written and played by, uh, Jeff. He is a uh, musician. So, uh, kudos to him and, uh, it saves me money cause then I don't have to purchase music. Well, you could pay me, but I wasn't alone putting this together. So I, and I don't really want to share with anybody else. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so back to the movie, um, in case you don't know. This is the one podcast that I allow myself to smoke. Um, <laughs> so if you hear me blowing, I'm blowing out smoke. Uh, uh-huh. So this one thing that uh, you were talking, we were talking about paying homage to stuff is uh, the, he uh, Rob Zombie is very much a fan of uh, Grindhouse movies. Uh, reading a little bit about his biography. Uh, he He's very theatrical and he plays on a lot of these old 70s stereotypes, not just in his movies, but even in his stage shows. Where right. he plays on uh, what people's uh, conceptions or misconceptions are of uh, musicians such as Alice Cooper or uh, what are some of the other ones? Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne, definitely. Yeah. And uh, in the, his movie, he really has a grindhouse feel to it where uh, in almost all of his movies, but especially in House of a Thousand Corpses, it's almost, you know, porn by horror. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and that is, I actually another comparison that I was making with this movie that I found in there that I don't know if Rob intended 
is I saw kind of some like with the flickerings with the grindhouse flickerings and stuff like that where they do the you know the quick scenes of like um, baby dancing or you know they cut in the corpses or you know the the quick cuts that he would do under you know with the strange lighting and stuff so, and stuff like that. You can actually see all this actually develop earlier in his career with the White Zombie video, Thunder Kiss 65. The whole video is done in a grindhouse style. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about his movie or his uh, music videos and in this movie is this movie is like an elongated music video of his. Yeah, yeah, very much so. In fact, I mean, you got Rob Zombie music fluttering all through it mixed in with all these other wonderful cuts that he's added to it. Right. Well, and you have uh, between that and... uh, the the camera angles he's really uses a lot of extreme camera angles extreme high uh and you can really see that uh in one of the scenes where uh one of the uh people shoots a uh um a deputy uh near oh, the end yeah. extreme that's the, actually that's actually my favorite scene in the movie oh it's mine to too by far either you either love her or you you either love it or you hate it because it's a full minute and a half two minutes yeah you're waiting as the camera pans up and away and the music stops and the music stops it's pure silence and then all of it, and then you have you know the character i'm still going to i'm probably saying this wrong but i'm thinking it's Otto yeah it is Otto okay he's holding a gun on the sheriff's deputy who's who's on his knees and the camera goes up and away and it falls into full silence as you're sitting there watching and waiting for him to shoot the deputy in the head. Now, my experience with this, and the reason why I've discovered that I love it so much, is I actually saw this movie as a screener first. I had that little movie, you know, that little counter going on down on the screen. Uh huh. If it wasn't for that counter, I'd have thought that the movie stopped. Because <laughs> <laughs> I actually sat there going, wait, is something wrong with my computer? And then <laughs> I, I noticed the numbers were still moving. And I'm like, okay. And then it pans away further, and then it gets really quiet. And then all of a sudden, boom, and you see the, dude, the back of the dude's head blow off. That was an amazing shot. <laughs> Uh yeah, and uh, he also does a lot of extreme close-ups. Uh, some Dutch, ang- a lot of Dutch angles where you know he's got the camera tilted uh sideways, so people are kind of at a lean. And I mean, he he's really really artistic with the uh, camera and with the lighting. Uh, he's definitely an auteur in many respects. With that, uh, not only that, he reuses a lot of his actors in his movies. Um, his wife. Uh, what is her name? Sherry Moon Zombie. She uh, she's in all five of his movies. Uh, Sid Hag is in. I know these two. Did was he in? He was in at least four of them. I don't remember for sure if he was in Halloween. Yeah, I don't remember him in Halloween. Uh, yeah, but and so he really reuses characters. Um, and reuses a lot of uh themes and one of the main themes that uh he tends to show is uh the theme of the broken family or in this case in uh, house of a thousand corpses they're not broken they're almost overly united i was gonna say that's i was actually going to make a disagreement with you on that because house of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects are actually a family that are trying really hard to stick together despite how twisted their family values are um so and uh so in the House of a Thousand Corpses after uh these uh four uh college students uh basically go to the house uh as they're searching for Dr. Evil uh they get stranded they uh go to this house uh people start dying uh pretty much it's mayhem everywhere 
you have uh, the scene uh, at the end where, or near the end, where uh, they um, Otto puts on and does a actual homage to uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where he wears the skin of one of his victims. Exactly. And uh, taunts. And 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 I could mention somewhere through there too. There's other. Uh, there's a couple of other really good movies that were that were paid homage to. You had um, uh, the Hills Have Eyes. Oh yeah. You've got the you've got the you got the tall, you know, messed up looking guy. The gunshot that takes out the tire of the car that actually brings the car to the point where the real horror starts. It's it, that's all from you know the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Uh. So and and then of course even with this he still plays homage to uh, the movie Halloween. Uh, it takes place on Halloween night, uh, and you have a portion of uh, the Boogeyman, uh, and I'm going to play a clip from uh, the House of a Thousand Corpses, and when we get to Halloween, we'll play another clip where it's, uh, you know, they're both talking about similar uh, aspects. What was it you were after? Come on, speak to me, boy. Oh, I remember now. Dr. Satan. God but everybody got to know about Dr. Satan. You know what I'm going to do, boy? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to let you meet the old It's all true. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. Okay. So, uh, you know, he's talking about the boogeyman. And then uh, in Halloween, Michael Myers plays is the boogeyman. Indeed. Uh, So, you know, I love that. Moving on to uh, the next. Well, before you jump ahead too quick. Okay. Um. I, I want to wrap up the whole House of a Thousand Corpses thing with saying that as awesome as a movie as I think it was, and as well as the story was told, and one of my favorite things that Rob is really good at doing is taking is uh, taking what you would believe to be almost stereotypical type lines and changing them in a way that you don't expect. So you end up some, with some really funny one-liners. But beyond that, the whole Dr. Satan thing I'm a little concerned with is I'd, I, I almost rather Dr. Satan by the end of the movie, remained a mystery. Yeah, I w- you know, when he showed up at the end, I was very, very, of course, if you haven't seen this, we're kind of spoiling it for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I completely agree, is that uh, by the end, when you finally uh, get to see that, you know, he is real, it kind of took it away from me because I would have much rather hit, uh, kept it ominous that these people were Dr. Satan, basically, not that it was a living, breathing person. Or even the, or even the belief that somebody worse than them was out there. Right. I just, I just believe that would have been better if it just kind of hung over everything. The anticipation is worth more <laughs> than the payoff in this, in this particular case. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to uh, his next project, which was the Devil's Rejects, and this is the uh, sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. It mm-hmm. is. Uh, one person put it. One, uh, they said that it wasn't so much a sequel as it is another movie with the exact same characters. I like to see it as a sequel, but I guess you know, however, Rob and the uh, actors view it, you know, kind of takes precedence too. Well, it wasn't a sequel in the, in the sense of um, you know, Halloween one leads into Halloween two, leads into Halloween three type. Yeah, I can see that because you didn't go from a one horrendously horrible movie to another horrendously horrible movie you really went to a you went to a chase movie <laughs> right so uh devil's rejects takes place uh 
I've heard a few different things on uh, the length of time, but uh, me and Jeff have kind of agreed on roughly nine months to a year after. It's not a full year because we pretty sure it takes place during the summer in Texas compared right. to uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, which was October 31st. And again, I'm basing my uh, I'm I, I'm basing my opinion on the fact that Otis is his name, so I apologize for calling him Otto earlier. Otis, um, yes, I'm Otis, sorry. Or or Bill Bill Mosley's character that he had a beautiful beard and mustache at this point, where he didn't have one at all by the at the end of House of a Thousand Corpses. So I I actually sat there and guesstimated as to how long a person would have to go before they get this bushy of a beard and a mustache, and I'm guessing around nine months. Yep. What's interesting about uh, House of a Thousand Corpses to The Devil's Reject is how the characters, their characterization changed slightly. Uh, You have uh, Sherry Moon's character, uh, Baby. Um, She went from being very almost psychotic to the point that you wasn't really sure if, you know, she... She was really almost schizophrenic psychotic in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses to where this one in The Devil's Reject, she has more motivation to what she does. Right. Um, and the same thing with the other ones is well, it's all survival at this point, though. It's all survival for them. Right. So they think of that too. they're being hunted by this uh, this sheriff at this point for because they killed the sheriff's brother. And which all becomes important plot lines to this film. Um, so, okay, so uh, Devil's Rejects, I'll re- read a little bit of a summary. Um, it takes place uh, later in Texas, and the Firefly family, that's uh, the family from House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, basically gets uh, am- ambushed or uh, infiltrated by um, a sheriff's SWAT team, more or less, and they have to fight their way out, and uh, the three people are the two people that get away is uh Otis and Baby and they meet up with I want to say Sid but that's not his name. Um well it's Captain Spaulding. Captain yeah. Spaulding. Yeah, Sid's a actor. Um right. And they meet up with Captain Spaulding and uh they're on the lamb and it's a road movie for the most part. Uh Right. It's a road movie. Basically what they the way the movie progresses this part part you're leaving out is that they take some hostages in a motel right and that's and they of course torture them which is which is where you're supposed to get your tie into house of a thousand corpses is it torturing people again and having fun with that and and really having fun i mean they take uh i'm gonna play a clip where uh he rob zombie you were saying how he'll take uh simple everyday sayings or even childish sayings and make them very ominous and uh, this is something that I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have heard when they were a kid. And think about the context that it's in right now of people being tortured. Chinese, <laughs> Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. Those who come to you with open heart. Chinese, <laughs> Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. I'm a man who's fallen the Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. All right, so yeah, you have the uh, very simple uh, thing that kids used to say, at least when I was younger, uh, where, you know, talking about women's body parts, I guess, and uh, make it very, very ominous and very uh, off-putting right there because of the uh, context that they're in right now. Indeed. 
Uh, the- actually, I was looking at some stuff here, and here's something that I didn't realize until just this moment. Um, we're talking about his auteurship and bringing people back in other movies. Um, Rufus Jr., who is the who was one of the sons that you didn't really see much of, was played by Tyler Maine, who later becomes Michael Myers. Oh, cool! So in the first two movies, so my so Tyler Maine was in four of the five movies we're talking about here. <laughs> yep, definitely an auteur in that respect. <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, so. What do you think about the style of this movie? Because it definitely didn't have as extreme of a style as House of a Thousand Corpses. Well, no, again, it was more of a road movie, and I think it was all of it was going for as much shock value as he could manage. I felt a lot like I was watching um, the one that the comments that I kept making as I'm watching it, going, "This is Natural Born Killers." I mean, there's so much going on, and the way it was cut, and you have the storyline with the obsessed police officer. You have the storyline with the people who are trying to, you know, the, the bad people who are trying to escape. And, um, I mean, it was very natural born killers to me. I mean, they're just running around killing people and trying to get away. And by the end they get, you know, spoiler by the end, it, it ends almost the same. I mean, there is no other ending that could happen other than they get destroyed. Um, Um, and then, of course, as the movie progresses, I'm also thinking Velma and Louise. So you got it's a crime road movie. <laughs> yeah, I got the Velma and Louise thing. Uh, I definitely saw that when I was watching it. You know, kind of Velma and Louise as more serial killer-ish. But to me, this is also definitely a movie about revenge. Uh, and there, everybody in here has sort of a, a revenge plot that they're trying to get. You have revenge on the brother. You have revenge on... Uh, the family revenge uh, from the uh, police officer revenging his brother's death. You have, you know, everything is about revenge and how revenge can just consume people and change them. Uh, and in the did end, you notice, did you notice the interesting twist though that happened throughout the movie? Because Rob, the whole script and Rob Zombie himself hasn't done hasn't done anything to try to dissuade people from realizing that Otis. Baby, Captain Spaulding, and anybody who is associated with them are horrible, despicable killers. They do it in such a way that is interesting and makes them, you know, infamous to the point where we love them, much like Freddy Krueger does. Well, they what- say those lines. That they say those lines and everything. The thing that I thought was most interesting, and I still can't pinpoint the moment that it happened though, is that you had this crazy cop running around, who at the time he seemed very much justified to be upset about his brother. But because he kept bringing religion into his discussion, you know, the way he was talking about hunting them down and he was going to be the wrath of God and all this, and the way he carried it out, much like he was the wrath of God. When the tables turned on him to where the, you know, the mass murderers, serial killers turned the tables on him, you started rooting for them. Right. And I don't know how that happened. It, it's, it was inter- it's interesting. Uh, it's uh Kind of like uh, what's the uh, Cinemax movie with the seri- or show with the serial killer? Um, oh, Dexter. Dexter. It's kind of like that where Dexter, you know, he's you know part of he kills people. He's a serial killer. He's a bad guy, but you're rooting for him not to get caught. And at the end of this movie, I was actually just gonna say the exact same thing. Is at the end when <laughs> all of a sudden the tables are turned and uh, the these horrible, horrendous uh, serial killer monsters are running for their life. I was like cheering when, you know, they got away. And I, and I actually paused for a second and thought to myself going, 
what's wrong with me or how genius is Rob Zombie that he could actually make me feel compassion for these people. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was thinking too, because I, I, I have been trying to pinpoint the moment where it happened and I can't really, other than maybe it was when the, the sheriff who was actually played by, you know, a very, wow, man, William, William Forsyth, very popular guy in the movie business. Very, very good at what he does. But I think the moment was when he was torturing them and you actually saw, you know, that, yeah, okay, he was doing to them what he, what they've done to everybody else, but he's supposed to be above that. Right. Because he's the sheriff and because he's the right hand of God, he's supposed to be above that. So him sinking to their level actually made, I think, made me hate him. Therefore, when the bad thing happened to him, finally, then you were worried about, okay, are they going to be able to make it? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And and that's what that that's the one thing that I do love about this movie is that it it really played with uh my sense of right and wrong almost. Which is exactly where I draw the correlations between uh Devil's Rejects and Natural Born Killers. Obviously Natural Born Killers had a much you know, a much more obvious, you know, the this is what the media pumps people out to be and this is why they became this way. And this, the media wasn't involved in Devil's Rejects at all. Um, but, but you still have this thing where you're following these people and you're actually rooting for them even though they're doing horrible things. I have a line from the movie that I want to play and I want to talk about this afterwards because I think this isn't necessarily pertinent to the movie, but I think this is pertinent to Rob Zombie himself. What okay. kind of people are we dealing with here, Doctor? It's just, it's just so depressing. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the symbols of, of, of these, these groups, like uh, the inverted cross or the, the pentagram or the, the number 666 left at the scene of the crime. What do you, what do you think about that, Doctor? You know, in many cases, uh, I believe these symbols are left uh, simply to confuse the police. Mm. They have no real connection to any satanic cult uh, operating in the United States this time. Well, I, you know, the, the Rugsville police are easily confused, so that may not, that may not be too hard. Uh, so what I uh, kind of wanted to say with that is, to me, this line being in the movie is kind of a Rob Zombie not speaking to the people inside the movie, but to the, all of his critics outside of the movie. And I would agree with that. And I think he's, you know, this is another case, too, where he's paying homage to other people who came before him who have established um, the same types of things that he has tried to do throughout his musical career. His stage shows have been pretty elaborate, have looked like, you know, horror movie sets. And Rob Zombie has admitted right from, right from the beginning he's a horror movie lover. And that's why he does these things is just because it's fun. He wants, you know, to scare people, entertain them and all that at the same time. But if you look backwards to the people who started it, started it before him, you have people like Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, poor Ozzy Osbourne has been blamed for so many horrible things, who has never used the number 666 on anything. <laughs> well, and uh, the same goes for, I remember my dad when I was little telling me about Ozzy Osbourne uh, biting the heads off bats, and then I find out when I'm older that they were rubber bats. Yeah, or they were um, freeze-dried bats, or supposedly freeze-dried bats and except for the one time where the bat woke up and bit him back. <laughs> Ew. Um, Which is actually a true story. I mean, he's, he's, he's told about this very often. And, or the times that he sat in the record company you know, office and they were trying to you know, come up with a 
getting an album released, and they released Dove supposedly to show this wonderful peace agreement that they'd made between each other. And Ozzy was so trashed, he grabbed a Dub and ripped his head off. So, <laughs> well, you know, the same goes for uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, people, uh, you know, a big thing came that Alice Cooper used to throw chickens into the audience so that they could tear them apart. And uh, he's even on record saying that when that ha- he did that once. And he didn't realize at the time that chickens don't fly. So he yeah, so yeah. a chicken landed on stage and he threw it out thinking the thing would fly away and it didn't. And uh, his fans tore it apart. And uh, right. that was the only time. But that, that stuff like that stuck. Right. And with the musicians, it's this whole idea of devils, you know, being devil's disciples are trying to sell Satan's word and this type of thing. I mean, Marilyn Manson's made millions off of, you know, it, off of uh, breeding this type of you know, belief in, in all these Christian fundamentalists. Right. And that, and that's why when I uh, heard this part, and this was on the television inside of the uh, movie, uh, when I heard that, I'm thinking this isn't him speaking inside the movie. It really had nothing to do with the movie. This is him saying stuff to his critics. Right. All right. I would agree. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the Devil's Rejects? Because, I mean, it, it's really Devil's Rejects compared to House of a Thousand Corpses is very self-explanatory. Yeah, I believe so. I, I don't think there's much left to much left to cover in Devil's Rejects. All right. Well, with that, uh, Jeff has uh, some upcoming news for us. Are you ready, Jeff? Sure. Let's hit it with the news. All right. <laughs> All right, you're on, Jeff. Today in uh, Horror Movie News, here's an interesting piece that it should be interesting to everybody. Scream 4 apparently has been rolling cameras in Plymouth, Michigan, a place that Jason and I know really well, being from the great state of Michigan. That's right. Uh, we're both from Michigan. I moved to Oregon, and you moved to New Mexico. Indeed. <laughs> Long ways away from, from uh, where we're from. But anyway, I guess in Plymouth, Michigan, here's what I'm getting from WXYZ. If you happen to be strolling along in downtown Plymouth Monday and Tuesday, July 19th and 20th, which was, you know, a couple weeks ago, but you might cross paths with Hollywood stars filming scenes from Scream 4, the newest installment to the classic horror series. Wes Craven and his team recently shot scenes in downtown Northville, and now they will be moving to Plymouth for more work. The film is still going to be starring Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Neve Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. I'm not sure how to say it. Yep. Nev Campbell. Okay. Which is interesting. I mean, it's gonna. It, it might be interesting to see a Scream Four after all these years. You know, the Scream Three uh, kind of wrapped up the whole trilogy concept. You know, the first one or the second one, they talked about sequels and all the rules for sequels. Scream Four or Three, they talked about the rules for a trilogy. I don't. I'm not sure how they're gonna go with Scream Four. Yeah, that's. I don't know rules on how to try to continue a series when I should have ended a long time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know Wes Craven is well known. I mean, look at the Nightmare series. They, they went on forever with that one, so. All right. Anything All right. else? Next, I'm going to, uh, let's see. I wanted to look at, well, let's see. Inception has been top of the box office for the last two or three weeks, which is a pretty good deal for uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And Inception isn't so much of a horror movie as it is science fiction, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. But, I, you know, I people think that sci-fi and horror kind of blend together and in some cases they do in this case it does have does seem to have some horrific elements to it just not the monster that everybody expects it's technology instead of you know your standard monster unlike the new m night 
movie that I just saw the trailer to the other day. Apparently, we're going to get an hour and a half movie about people trapped in an elevator. But one of them is the devil. Who is it? Oh, and there's going to be a twist at the end. I guarantee it. Oh, no doubt. I mean, like there could be an M. Night movie without a twist. Although, I still don't know what the twist was in Last Airbender, except that it sucked. Anyway, let me in. That was a twist. Let me in. This is a very much anticipated movie for many people like me who remember the Let the Right One In. It was a vampire movie that came out of the... It was a Swedish vampire movie that came out of nowhere, filmed on a next-to-nothing budget. was just amazing. It was, it was pretty much described as the movie that, sh- that Twilight should have been. Other oh, than what it is. <laughs> that sounds great. It, that, that's the way the original was uh, was being pushed but we do have an american remake i know some of you are you know bah, american remake yes. yes. some of you are begrudging yes i said grudge <laughs> um the, the the fact that americans are going to remake this movie but apparently comic-con seems to be really happy with it it's getting pushed really hard comic-con people are slowly but surely starting to show some interest here's something from the comic-con Los Angeles Times. Let Me In began the long Scandinavian road to fan acceptance Saturday at Over- Overture Films. Director Matt Reeves and the cast went in front of the Comic-Con faithful to plead their case. Director Reeves, evincing the look of Silicon Valley programmer and the speaking style of a professor, acknowledged right off the bat that he was facing an uphill climb. A lot of people are worried, he said. I love that movie. The thing is, that movie will exist. This is another interpretation that I hope you'll love. Now I have to say, after seeing the trailers, I'm actually hopeful. Okay. But okay. I'm going to tell everybody, watch the original first. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, we ran out of music, but we can still That's keep doing news. Good. Unless you have something you want to add in, I'm totally happy with what I just said. That Comic- sounds great. Comic-Con just happened. Lots of superhero movies coming out. Marvel is taking you know, the next two years by storm. Yeah. But they've got that, like five, uh, Marvel movies coming out. Yeah. And we know at least two of them are going to be within the next seven to eight months. So, so that should be interesting, but that's about all I got from there. All right. Moving on to Halloween and Halloween two. Uh, these two movies are remakes of my, uh, hero, John Carpenter. And uh, they follow the course of Michael Myers, uh, who is a psychopathic killer, basically, uh, that hunts down babysitters. And uh, the original title of John Carpenter's film was called The Babysitter Murders, and Rob Zombie remade them in his own style and fashion. And as anybody that knows me, when thing first came out, when uh, Halloween first came out, I was skeptical. You were more than skeptical. <laughs> I was very skeptical. Even after the first time I saw it, I was like so comparing it to the original Halloween that I hated it. And then I kind of grew on it uh, as I started watching it for what it is. Yeah, you pretty much have to see it as a, uh, for what it is. Um, if you go into Halloween expecting or even criticizing it from the standpoint of that, you know... Michael Myers is, you've got the Michael Myers backstory. You've got, I mean, half the movie is the Michael Myers backstory. And then the other half is basically the original movie and fast forward. <laughs> right. And, and here's the reason that I didn't like it at the beginning. And uh, this little clip will tell you exactly why. 
Michael loves animals. He Mrs. Myers, typically the thrill of hurting or causing pain to smaller creatures. It's often an early warning sign. Early warning sign for what? For much deeper and bigger problems. And that's the reason that I really didn't like it at the beginning. Uh, the first time I watched it was that uh, Michael Myers, This, like you said, it spends so much time on the backstory. And Michael Myers, as a kid, he's in a broken home. His mom is a stripper. His dad is a uh, alcoholic uh, that beats him. When it's a stepdad, actually. Or so we step-dad. don't know what happened to his real dad. Right. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, he starts hurting animals and then progresses to people and find out that he has an affinity for masks and you know he there's so much backstory and that was the thing that kind of put me off at the beginning was that michael myers in the original halloween that i loved about it was he was like this ominous force and in this one he uh he really is humanized in it and to me humans aren't scary at least not the first time i saw this movie well, As, we've had this argument many times, is that you don't always have to put the face on the monster because that makes them less a monster. Right. We like our monsters. We like our monsters to just be monsters. We, they don't always have to have a face and a backstory. And uh, one of my main concerns with this movie, I mean, I'm going to give it full credit on, you know, one of Rob Zombie, well done from a Rob Zombie authorship point of view. Story-wise, though, I'm going to have, I'm going to agree with you that um, in some ways, I think it went stereotypical because we have a troubled child from a broken home who, you know, starts killing things. Well, that's very stereotypical. What I liked about the original is that we didn't really see all that. In fact, we don't know for sure what his family was like. Well, we, what, we, what we get from the original is that he came from a middle class, uh, upper middle class family. And all we really know is that something may have snapped in him when he saw his sister getting banged by her boyfriend. And I would agree. I, I, I like that better because it, there's, there is no explanation to that. But we're going to you know, look at this movie. I choose to look at this movie, and you've admitted that you're going to do so too as its own story in its own right. Right. Uh, there's really two types of uh, monsters in monster movies uh, boiled down. And uh, there's the uh, monster comes from afar the monster from outside and that's where you get like dracula and the thing and uh all of these 1950s uh monster movies from outer space and stuff like that and really starting with the movie psycho uh you have the the monster lives among us and that's where i think the real horror of halloween comes from is that uh, based on a person's, you know, in in the the film itself, based on a person's background, based on how they were raised or who they are, that anybody could become a psycho. And I, I think like that, that, and I think that's where uh, he was going with this movie. And I think that's what makes this movie scary, is that the kid next door could grow up to be the next psycho killer. Could be the next, uh, what is it, the BK killer or sniper or, you know, the DC sniper or the Unabomber. And it's really much more true to life in this respect that Michael Myers is psychotic because of uh, external forces in his life. Right. Excuse me. Yeah, I would agree with that. That, that, That's a very good way of putting it. Um, Dr. Loomis in this... uh, Played by, help me out here because I'm trying to push buttons and I don't have a chance. Malcolm McDonald. McDowell. 
or McDowell. That's it. Um, was a very good actor. Oh, amazing <laughs> actor. Uh, been in many things throughout his career. Uh, you guys probably have uh, seen him in, let's see, The Mentalist, the TV show he's played in there quite a few times. Uh, let's see. Going well, down. he goes all the way back to... <laughs> I know, I'm looking for... The one that I really see him in is, uh, I remember him in the TV show Heroes. Oh, yeah. He plays Lieberman, who is, like, kind of the, in the first season, kind of this ominous force that controls a lot of the uh, Heroes stuff. Um, let's see. But, yeah, I mean, That's- you look at his film history, and he's been around for... God ever. Uh, yeah, I'm still scrolling down on his stuff. Yeah, so I, I'm actually I want to like throw him into a movie that I know came a long time ago. I know that's one the, that's what I want to see. But anyway, Forerunners uh, of sci-fi films. He plays Doctor Loomis, and uh, anybody that uh, remembers the original uh, Halloween Doctor, he's a very different Doctor Loomis. He's very very passionate to where uh the old dr loomis was uh a little bit more subdued and just to kind of tell you uh here is a line that was used in both movies and uh this is how it was used uh by uh uh mcdowell and it's it's really great the way that he delivers this line these eyes will deceive you They will destroy you. They will take from you your innocence, your pride, and eventually your soul. These eyes do not see what you and I see. Behind these eyes one finds only blackness, the absence of light. These are the eyes of a psychopath. So the acting in this is just just amazing. And okay, and I finally figured out what movie I'm supposed to be putting him in that I know you and I have definitely seen and are, and are at least lovers of and many other people. Malcolm McDowell was Alex in A Clockwork Orange. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's keep in mind that that guy is also the crazy dude from Clockwork Orange. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, another thing that I liked is uh, this movie had Danielle Harris. She played Annie Brackett, a friend of Laurie Strode. And Annie dies in both the uh, 1978 and the ni- in the 2007 Halloween. What's interesting is anybody that knows who Daniel Harris is, if you're if you're a fan of the Halloween uh canon, and I think there was eight Halloweens, maybe nine, um mm-hmm. she was in Halloween four, five, and at the beginning of six. <laughs> and she played Laurie Strode's niece, um who was actually Michael Myers' niece also. Right. Um and she was a little girl when she did it. She played Jamie Lloyd. And uh, 
it's interesting that he would bring her back, you know, because she was really the main character in Halloween 4 and Halloween 5. Oh, I guess yeah. she didn't play uh, Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 6. Eh, oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> I thought she did. But it's the the characters in Halloween 6 at the beginning before she dies. And uh, I think it's great that he brought her back for this because, you know, at the time, you know, she was a little girl when she played it. She was maybe 10 years old, maybe 12. Now she's older and she can really, I mean, she does a phenomenal job uh, as Annie Brackett in this show. Uh, yes, she does. I didn't, and I actually didn't even know that tidbit of information, so. Um, well, that's just because I'm a Halloween fanatic. <laughs> yeah. The original Halloween fanatic, so. Um, well, I'm looking at the list of cast here and, uh, you know, going back to authorship, you know, especially the use of actors that, you know, and knowing their, their, uh, limitations. And we've spoken of a few of them and I'm going to repeat, but, uh, there's even a couple here I didn't even realize. Um, we have, of course, Tyler Maine, like I mentioned before, was, was, a uh, wasn't seen very often in, in, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, but he was there, plays Michael Myers, well, the adult Michael Myers. We have Sherry Moon Zombie. Mm-hmm. We have William Forsyth. We have, let's see, Bill Mosley, of course. Yeah. Let's see. I'm just looking at the first page of people that came up. So that's going. That's, well, we that's have we have Danny. Uh, how do you say his last name? Trejo. Uh, Danny Trejo. Trejo, who was in uh, the Devil's Rejects. Yeah, that's right. He was. And he's in this hey, Danny also. Trejo, though, is one of those guys that Danny Trejo is just one of those guys though that if you're doing a if you're doing a low budget film. And you want a really good badass? He's the man. In fact, watch for Machete next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's been in a ton of things. Uh, just looking at his stuff, you know, he's got another Child's Play coming up in 2011. It's in pre-production right now. Uh, Death Race 2. Vengeance. Uh, let's see. Six Days to Paradise. Food Stamps. Ragged Annie. Uh, the human factor. I mean, the guy, the guy is, he plays a lot of, he's also in the, uh, haunted world of El Super Bistro. Yes, he is. Um, which is another Rob Zombie movie. Uh, it's based on a comic book of his. Um, and so, I mean, this guy has been in just, just about everything. I mean, Hood of Horror. Slayer, <laughs> Death Row. Uh, um, every was there four of the From Dust Till Dawn movies. He was in all of them. Yep, <laughs> he was in all of them. Um, uh, he's one of Robert Rodriguez's. If you know everybody who knows who Robert Rodriguez is, the director who did From Dust Till Dawn and has done a lot of you know written and put out a lot of great stuff. Danny Trejo ends up in a lot of his movies. They're like best friends. And he even ends up in stuff that uh, is in horror films. He was in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Jeremy. Or Ron, Jeremy, yeah. Ron Burgundy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was in Night, Night Stalker. Great, uh, great film that I love. He did a voice in Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. Uh, let's see what else. Reindeer Games. Oh, we could spend forever on a Danny Tree Hole Love Fest. I know. <laughs> Baywatch. But, anything else about Halloween you'd like to touch on, though? <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I got off on uh, Danny Trejo. I know he's awesome. Uh, anyway, we do have a subject we were talking about. 
now that we've lost all our listeners. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, uh, so as far as uh, Halloween goes, no, I think I think it's great as a standalone movie. It definitely shows Rob Zombie's altruistic views. It's scary in its own sense, but I think a lot of the stuff that happens in there to me was predictable. Yeah, I mean, it's well, he did actually take a couple of things that were right out of the John Carpenter screenplay and just kind of like twist them a little bit. Right. And the only other problem that I had with this is basically what took place, you know, for an hour and a half in uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. He basically compressed it into what, 15, 20 minutes. It was more like a half hour, but yeah, it was still. Yeah. Basically, all of John Carpenter's movie was was a half hour of Rob Zombie's. Movie. Yeah, it was like the third act of Rob Zombie's. And I didn't really care for that. I, I'd much rather like the uh, uh, the horror aspect of that, not let's learn about the backstory of Michael Myers. There was way too much backstory. I all agree with that. Um, and then and uh, more, at the end of ahead. Halloween, uh, basically he follows the exact same way that Halloween uh, 2 begins in uh, the 1980 version. And then, of course, in his version of Halloween 2, the 2009 version, where it takes place immediately after Halloween 1 ends. Yes. Michael Myers. For the most part. I mean, you you get the Michael Myers escape. Yep. And he he follows her to uh, the uh, hospital. One of the differences is uh, at the end of the original Halloween, uh, Michael Myers is missing. So Michael Myers, the original Halloween, really had a supernatural aspect to him. In this one, it's you don't really see the supernatural aspect until the end of the movie. Well, until the second movie, really. Right. The uh, second movie is where a supernatural aspect does come in. But it's not the one you expect, either. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, what's your take on uh, Halloween 2? Uh, give a quick synopsis and what your take is. Uh, quick synopsis. Well, Michael's back. Starts looking for his sister again. And apparently now it's not all about just being together, you know, just binding and reconnecting with somebody from his family, but he wants to bring the whole family back together again, which means bringing out the ghost of his mother and his sister apparently has to die to is basically, it is essentially what's happening in this film. Right. And what he did is uh, he basically took the entire canon of Halloween and kind of compressed uh, some of the plot lines into one movie. Cause you find out right. in Halloween two uh, in 1980, that Laurie Strode is uh, Michael's sister. Um, and then... And she's told in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, like right off the bat, well, actually it took half the movie for her to figure that out. But <laughs> Right, and in actuality, she doesn't know in uh, the original Halloween 2. Uh, right. Uh, Dr. Loomis is the only one that knows, and he's the one that kind of lets it be known to everybody else. But then you don't find out until Halloween 4 of uh the john carpenter canon which john carpenter only directed the first one actually but puts his name on the rest of them uh that uh michael myers is trying to end his lineage and so that's where that's where this one they kind of compress some of that where you know he's trying to kill her off because he's trying to end his lineage the part that really got to me though is when all of a sudden they started speaking to the mom yeah. So you actually, know. I I I even sent you a text about it. You never answered, but I have a feeling you're going to now. <laughs> I'm like, what is the white horse thing all about? 
I don't know. Did you get that at the beginning? At the beginning, they say something about a white horse. And unfortunately, I was watching on a computer screen from across the room, so I didn't quite read it. But I got the gist that, you know, it's probably some native thing about ghosts and such. And because, you know, the mother showing reappearing all the time, as apparently as a ghost, even though she's corporal to Michael. And then all of a sudden, there's a young Michael running around, you know, with the ghost mom and the big killer Michael. So it's kind of like the Michael that is running around in in Halloween 2 isn't even really I don't maybe his soul doesn't exist anymore it's actually wandering around with his mother and the body is just you know it's just a shell sent out to do the murdering yeah yeah that's kind of what I got out of it um I'm gonna play something real quick from uh Halloween 2 the three clips that I have is basically it all has to do with uh um talking to the mom and uh actually one of them is uh Lori finding out that she's Angel Myers, and I'm going to play that one first. I don't mean... I don't mean you understand what the fuck I'm saying? Not really. <laughs> Who are you then? I'm Angel Myers. Michael Myers' sister. So there's that, and then you have Michael talking to his mom. I wish we could all be together again. We will, Michael. We will. When? When you make everything right and bring our baby back home. And that was uh, young Michael, actually, mm-hmm. talking to his mom. And then you have the mom appearing to Lori slash Angel Myers. You know who I am, Angel. Now, repeat after me. I love you, Mommy. I love you, Mommy. I love you, Mommy. And that's where it kind of all kind of lost me right there. Yeah, I would, and I would agree with that, especially since the the character of the mother, you never really had that kind of a um, an impression from in the first movie. No, in, she was in, in the that first movie. The type of character she was, right? In and the first then, movie, she seemed kind of absentee. Yeah, and that she actually was willing to sacrifice anything, including herself, it is what she ended up doing in the end. Is because she couldn't live with what Michael had turned into, you know. She, right. She ended up sacrificing herself for that reason. So this so, br- this brings the, back to a uh, the question of, you know, is the mom really what's controlling Michael Myers right now? Or I mean, that's and that's where I'm confused because he did all this while she was alive. And now that she's dead, is she controlling him? I mean, that's I'm confused right there. Or is it all in his head? And then it's harder to believe that it's all in his head when she saw it too. <laughs> you know, when his sister, when Laurie saw it too. Right. So, and that's the thing with Halloween too. Uh, as far as horror value, shock value, I, I love the cinematography of this. I think... Uh, Rob Zombie went back to kind of the House of a Thousand Corpses uh, camera angles, camera movements, and lighting. And I'll admit, as far as as far as writing and and cinematography, though, I actually think that this was the movie where he proved that he had learned a lot from the first three. He did, and uh, he's actually writing a third one right now. Uh, and maybe that'll explain the whole mother thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, and it'll be interesting how he takes on that. Anybody that follows Halloween knows that the third Halloween movie wasn't actually a uh, Michael Myers movie. 
So right. uh, I think it's great that he's writing a third one. Hopefully he'll expand on it and go a little bit more and make a real mythos out of this. Because right now what we got out of the first two movies is kind of this hodgepodge of background stories that he kind of pulled together but doesn't really have a coherent through line. And I think... Uh, with he, this one, he can really start getting a little more original, or, you know, original with it. Right, exactly. Because now he's not following in the footsteps of John Carpenter. He can really go off on his own and make it his right. own, and really make this a great series. Like, and I wouldn't even, uh, and really make what he did with uh, the Devil's Rejects make that into this because the Devil's Rejects he did a great job of showing kind of the backstory of the family and how how they were and how they interacted and what they're all about. To where the first one, you didn't know anything about the family outside of the fact that they like to kill people. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, anything? Indeed, I'm looking forward to seeing what a hollow, what his Halloween three will be like because maybe it'll bring all this to more of a conclusion to where we can understand a little bit more. And I was gonna make a comment about the horror factor. I don't really think that there was a, a there were scares per se, but he definitely went for the big gross out. The first ten minutes of the movie are horrible. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of hit more of his thing. He's not so much. You know, there's really the uh, two uh, views on horror. One is. Uh, a uh, suspenseful horror where, you know, the the idea is, you know, you show a ticking time bomb underneath the table, show people talking, show the ticking time bomb, show people talking, build up that right. suspense until they can't take it anymore. And then the other is the uh, shock factor horror uh, where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something horrendous happens. And you can right. really get visceral with the second one, which is what he does. He's a great director. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap up uh, kind of our whole conversation. He's a great director as far as being able to get visceral with people, and he does it both visually, he does it audibly with his, the music that he chooses and uses, he does it uh, with the uh, set, and also with the acting, really getting these people to just outright cry and really show emotion and really show the horror that... Uh, oh, definitely. The girl who plays Lori, in my opinion, has definitely rivaled... Um, what's her name? <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I think that's she's how, ten that, times better than Lori Jamie was. Lee Curtis was. That's how good she was to me. Is that I totally forgot her Jamie Lee Curtis's name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she takes the she gets the scream queen crown. Yeah, if I could speak. And and, and as far as uh, the visuals and the horror aspect, in order to watch his movies, you really have to love gore because that's what he is. Yeah. He's he he's really it, it. It's a porn of gore is what his movies are. Oh, yeah, and House of a Thousand Corpses was, you know, the first introduction to his films. Showed you that right from the beginning, so you shouldn't expect anything less from a Halloween movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, if you uh, see Halloween 3 or uh, haven't seen any of these and want to watch it, uh, let us know what you think. How can they get a hold of us, Jeff? How can they get a hold of us? Well, I know there's a phone number, an email. Let's see, the email is thecreepercast at gmail.com. Tell you that for sure. That's right. And, and the phone number is the phone number is two zero six nine eight four nine seven five two. And you can also go to our website at hilltoppodcasting.com and leave us a comment. And, uh, and I understand we tweet now too. So twitter.com backslash creepercast. Uh, yes. And that's it for our show. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Hey, thank you, baby. I've had a good time. All right. Well, we'll. It's actually a movie. Anyway. <laughs>
We'll talk to you guys next time. Sorry for the two-week delay. Jeff had a uh, little trouble with some fire at his house, I guess. Yeah, being a firefighter is no fun. No, it wasn't actually at my house. It's that I'm a volunteer firefighter, and we had to go put out somebody's yard because they felt like throwing matches in it. (laughs) Oh, great. All right, thank you, guys. Goodbye and blessed be.